Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. How's everybody's summer going? I have to tell you, I, I'm on a journey. I am on a journey. I, I don't know how many of you know, but my parents both passed away last year, nine months apart. And um, I don't know if you've experienced loss or grief in this way, but wow, it's, it's wild. Some days I'm able to sort of put my grief in a place that I have gratitude. I mean, I always have gratitude for my folks. I had really, I was really lucky. I had a really great relationship with both my parents. Of course, there were challenges. What relationship doesn't have those? But uh, for the most part, I think um, I was pretty lucky that way. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'll be kicking along and I'll, I'll uh, be grateful and, and everything else. And then sometimes I'll just get slammed, just slammed with like sadness and mourning and frustration and all these things. And um, I, I don't, I've never dealt with anything like this before. Uh, and I wonder if you have, I, I'm up for any kind of advice or thoughts around it. Although I will say, I think grief is really specific to the person and no two journeys are alike. But um, here's the thing that I always know will help me, nature. Always, 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 always. Like if I can just get into nature somehow, whether it's a walk, whether it's just sitting in my backyard and breathing, anything like that will just help me so much. Um, and I also see this really cool parallel between like what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with in nature, if that makes sense. So, you know, a couple years back, I was sort of frustrated with um, where my artistic journey was going. And so I started chopping down some trees at the cottage sort of to get some clarity, sort of to see, see the light in a way. And then a little while later, I was uh, removing stumps and uh, like roots and trying to get to the root of things, right? You know, things like that. And then in the winter when the snow melted and the ice started to melt away and flow away in the water, I was watching things flow again. So right now, I'm planting. I'm planting seeds. I'm weeding so that those seeds can get stronger. I'm putting down some beautiful ground cover. So I feel like it's all, it's all connected, right? And everything I do in nature somehow reflects what I'm going through in life. And so if you're going through something, gosh, who isn't going through something with the year that we've had? But uh, I really encourage you to find a little chunk of nature, whether it's really honestly just sitting in like a patch of grass and breathing in air. I know it helps me so much. And if you have any stories like that, I'd love to hear them. Hashtag firecracker nature. I would love to hear them because I do feel like it's all, it's all connected. And uh, I hope that whatever you're going through, you're able to see some light. You're able to see the beauty around you and know that it's gonna be okay because as deep as my grief is, I know it's gonna be okay. It's just the journey we're on. Okay, here is a little shout out and it's from me today and I am so thrilled to do a little shout out for this beautiful person, Markeisha Babers. Now Markeisha was a past podcast guest and oh, I loved speaking with Markeisha. She just brings such joy and positivity and knowing her story and where she's come from. I mean, that gal's dealt with some some grief and she's able to lift her head up and just keep going so such such an inspiration her feature film debut came out last week and it's an absolute summer jam called summertime summertime oh my gosh it's directed by carlos lopez estrada whose work includes blind spotting and raya and the last dragon and this movie is also executive produced by kelly marie tran from the star wars world it's just truly gorgeous. This film is such a work of art and it's also born from Estrada's workshops with a variety of intersectional young artists. So it's coming from a place of like, I mean, I love when I see movies that are workshopped in any capacity because there's also, there's not only like a depth to the, the text and the work, but there's a chemistry that you don't get if you haven't worked together before. It's really hard to get like chemistry on like a first take when you've just met somebody. But these folks in the movie have hung around in workshops and it's, uh, it's amazing. The film features 25 young screenwriting co-authors, each a poet contributing a set of rhymes, a chance to express themselves. 
And, I mean, you know, one of those incredible poets is the amazing Markeisha Babers. If you haven't listened to Markeisha's amazing poem, That Girl, it will be in our show notes. And you've got to listen to it. You've got to hear her words, feel her heart. It's an incredible piece of work. I interviewed Markeisha in October of last year, and we're finally at the release date of Summertime, which we spoke about. Find the film on Instagram at Summertime the Movie and Markeisha at, at Lady Lyrics, and it's spelled L-A-D-I-3-L-Y-R-I-X, Lady Lyrics. Links, of course, because we care, are in our show notes per usual. And if you actually get to a theater, oh my gosh, please take a picture and then tag me because I want to see the buzz around this movie. I'm so, I'm so jazzed about seeing it finally come out. And I'm so excited that it's actually coming out at a time that people can get to the theater. So um, I just hope it's going to get all the success in the world. So if you do see it, go out there and share some firecracker love and spread the summertime word. Okay, our guest on the show this week is transgender writer and stand-up comedian, Gina Bloom. I'm super excited to share this conversation with you. I'm raising my hands above my head. I really am. Uh, Gina has performed all over the country, including a headlining tour of the southern United States shortly before the pandemic. We definitely talk about that. She has also been a previous winner of the Harlem Comedy Festival competition and a finalist for the She-Devil Comedy Competition in New York City. She has performed at the Hollywood Improv Comedy Store and most, I mean, most of the New York City comedy venues. There are probably firecracker connections we don't even know about, but that's the best part of getting to know someone new. Suddenly you're chatting, you're like, hey, wait, you're in comedy in New York. Do you know this person? Yeah. Do you know this person? Yeah. And then suddenly people are more connected. I don't know. It's my jam. Her writing has been featured in the LA Times, New York Magazine, and the AV Club. She has also appeared on Viceland and Sit and Spin for Comedy Central. In her previous life, Gina had worked for eight years as an independent filmmaker and once produced a film called Andre the Butcher, which aired for two years on Stars. Now, Gina took over a decade off from filmmaking as a survivor of domestic violence and finally as an out trans woman. Additionally, Gina's gorgeous self has also dabbled into acting and modeling. She's gorgeous, oh my gosh. She worked for Shakina Nafak during the early stages of Shakina's play, The Chonburi Hotel. And most recently, she was a model for an ad campaign for a mental health app shot by famed Rolling Stone portrait photographer, Mark Seliger, who also shot the likes of Susan Sarandon, Kurt Cobain, Tony Bennett, just to name a few. She's done some really cool stuff and continues to shine brighter and brighter every day. You know, I think we met, and we talk about this, we met through, you know, when the pandemic hit, everybody was like, what? We're all becoming techies. We have to become techies because there's suddenly technology is like imperative to our life. And so I remember taking like a little workshop and finding out how best to run like Zoom shows and Zoom meetings and things like that. And Gina took us through it. And uh, I was just enamored. I was enamored with her right from the beginning because she's just, she's such a, um, she's such a smart spark. A smart spark. Yeah. She's just so full of, uh, of wisdom and funny. She's super, super funny. So I totally gravitated to her. And then I did her podcast later on. And we talked about this as well which was uh, just such a ride. And um, yeah, I've just been a fan. I've been watching her stand up on YouTube and falling in love with all her funny bits. All of them. She's such an authentic person too. I loved our chat so much because she's just Gina Bloom. She's just super Gina Bloom. She is who she is. And I loved our discussion for the journey that we go on and finding about how her journey is so far. Okay, so let's do it. Here's my chat with comedian, writer, Gina Bloom. I am so excited to speak with you, Gina. I've wanted to have this conversation since I met you a hundred years ago. Yeah, here we are. It's only been like, a, what, a year? Yeah, it feels like that, yeah. It's been a crazy year. I think it's been a little over a year. I was trying to remember. Yeah. I think it was, because um, I think you hosted like a Zoom how-to. Yeah, that would have been about a year ago. I started yeah. listening to your... I started listening to your sweet podcast and I was like, oh, she's so fucking funny. And um, yeah, so I'm thrilled to have this time together. Yay. How, how's your world? Like you're, I feel like I've been watching your world explode in Los Angeles lately with your keen design 
Uh, oh, okay. yeah, I, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I just moved into a new place. So um, I'm, I'm very, I'm being, I'm being a bit of, I'm being a bit much on social. Here's my new room and here's my other new room and here's another new thing I have. Yes. Well, I haven't, I haven't lived alone in years. Like I was doing the math and I think that I've only lived alone in my entire life, maybe four years out of my entire life, which is ridiculous. So I'm like, did your brother come with you? No, no, he's back in New York. Uh, no, actually, he, well, he he stayed in New York, but then he he got married and moved to Vermont. So, oh boy, wow! Yeah. And uh, they just bought a house. Uh, they haven't moved in yet, so it's a whole thing. So he's doing the same thing that I am. Like, here's my new thing. We're 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 a very decorative family. Well, here's the question then: Like, is this the world you imagined, like 20, 30 years ago? Wow, thirty years ago. Let's. Well, I wasn't even born yet. No, I was, I've been I'm way over 30. Um, no, it, I don't think I ever really considered um, the life I lead now as a thing. Yeah. I, 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 I am a translating and I didn't transition until about five years ago. So that's a big part of it. And then uh, I never considered myself a performer until I transitioned. So that's only been going on for the past five years. Oh, I was and, wondering about that. Yeah, yeah, I wondered when like your your comedy voice started shaping. Well, I have been writing comedy for a long time. I've been writing as as a screenwriter and like I tried my hand at short stories, but it was all you know, it was all like behind the scenes. I didn't want to be seen. I just wanted to, to write and, you know, do my little silly things and then mm -hmm. not be noticed. Because I didn't really want to be noticed for the person that I used to live by. Um, but, you know, once once the transition happened and everything that I felt so anxious and scared of just kind of fell away, then it's like, yeah, maybe I will try to be funny. Just more just as, as a whim and also because I, I, had, I had just moved to a new city and I had transitioned my entire life and I kind of needed new friends. And I was like, yeah, yeah maybe I'll just get into comedy just to make, just to make friends. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's a weird reason to do it, but it worked out and I made friends. Hey, look at that. Yeah. Did you feel like your, like your voice as a screenwriter, it had to change, right? Because as you transitioned, but you know, they say, write what you know. You oh, of course. Right. Yeah. As your past life. Yeah. Uh, I I'm working on something now that sort of like bridges that gap because it's a concept I had worked on years ago, uh, pre-transition and I just sort of picked it up um, maybe about five months ago and it became something completely different like it became this whole totally different thing the basic concept which you know it's like a stupid action comedy thing about people who steal people who steal a bunch of high-tech space weapons and like yes. yes and you know get chased by FBI agents and that became this whole whole thing about studies about gender and and definitions of masculinity and it became this whole this took on this whole thing that i had never even considered but still at heart is is a story about a bunch of people who steal laser guns so yeah. there you go <laughs> so. that's right so you can like cross all the boxes tick all yeah, the boxes yeah yeah it's like it's still at heart it's still a silly movie about a, about a bunch of like hot people that steal laser guns and get chased by aliens and yeah. then uh, you know but also all this other stuff happens so we'll see i mean do, your comedy muscles like were those always being exercised through your life through your childhood like i know uh from my research like i know your childhood wasn't easy and i i think often our comedy skills yeah. get honed because of that is that oh, definitely. You started with yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we had, it wasn't an easy run. I, I, I'm sure people have had it a lot worse. I mean, I had two parents for the most part. My dad was kind of in and out because he had legal trouble, but they stayed married. Um, and we were quite poor, but we had homes. Like, we weren't homeless. We, we didn't get unhoused, but we, we just lived, you know, very hand to mouth. And sometimes the power would get shut off and things like that. And we often had to move because, you know, dad didn't pay the rent for three months. It was like maybe like in the bottom quarter of childhoods, but not certainly not the worst. When your life is just kind of an existential question mark every day, 
and yeah. you grow up that way it's like you have to laugh at it because otherwise it just gets too depressing it's like oh this is terrible yeah. like what do you want am i supposed to do so i had four other siblings uh they were various ages so they didn't, we didn't necessarily all live under the same roof at the same time but like there were enough of us passing through that there was always an audience and um and mostly it was just ma us making fun of our parents uh, my mother was filipino my my dad was more of your standard american redneck so i i learned um just a lot uh just you know observing them and, and their like individual idiosync idiosyncratic behavior and just formulating you know stuff to make my siblings laugh or to make myself laugh more often than not just to make myself laugh which is still what i do for comedy it's the only it's the only real test i have about whether or not i think something works uh, as as a joke because i i have a very high threshold for something that makes yeah. me laugh people will be like is this funny and they'll tell me and i'll be like mm. and i'll be like no i think it's <laughs> funny it's just it takes a lot to make me laugh like it's funny yeah. enough for most people but it still hasn't hit my laugh level yet and it's the same yeah. way with me like i'll tell a joke on stage i won't think it's very funny sometimes people will laugh i'll be like okay well for whatever reason they're into it but i'm not so i won't tell that joke just because right. it doesn't pass my own personal field yeah and i think i learned that you know from growing up like i, I could only entertain myself half the time so if it made me laugh then it must have been it must have been pretty funny right I, right do you remember, I, like, because I remember growing up, you know, I eventually went into like improv and Second City and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But I remember the same sort of thing that, you know, my family were, were pretty like, I don't know, like intellectual. They would have like intellectual yeah. discussions at the table. And that was really, it wasn't my jam. I couldn't really yeah, fit in yeah. there. But what well, I could fit into was like putting a bag over my head and being like, then it, then it, then it. Yeah, and then there my you mother go. Like, you will suffocate yourself, Naomi. Please take that bag off your head. Do you remember like, like turning point jokes that you would have in your repertoire as a kid? I remember at one point, my dad, um, he wasn't abusive, but he had, a, he had a temper and he was bigger than we are up until a certain point. And then at around maybe 13 or 14 years old, I had a growth spurt and I became as tall as my dad. And at that point, he started to show his age a little bit. So basically, I just, I, I just started roasting him for being old, right. over and over again. And eventually, the whole family joined in. Like we all joined in and referring to him as old. And he, we would do that literally until like, literally for the rest of his life. Right. And he would only get older. So it was so the joke was always funny <laughs> to us. Like every day, like, it's not something you can change, buddy. Yeah, every day it gets a little worse for you, pal. So this is what you're going to yeah. get. Yeah. And like, and I remember my mom, she would get so angry because she was only, wasn't even five feet tall. No. And so I, I think a lot of this is, happens when I got to a certain age where I developed a, a more adult sense of humor and I got big enough to be not afraid of my parents. Yeah. And I would, I would just, I would rest my elbow on the top of my mom's head like this she would hate that obviously but, but like, i mean who would like that who would like that yeah who would like that but like it it became my way of like just you know reminding them that you know th they created this person like this is this is what yeah, you right. made. this is sorry this you is created you. the monster yeah this is this is all you're doing yeah was she funny was your mom funny my parents were both funny in their own ways. And what I, what I will often say is that my dad taught me comic timing okay. because, because he was, he was very funny in like a, a roast kind of way. Like he, if you did something that he thought was funny, he would just rag you about it for the rest of your life almost. Yeah. And like, it would, it would be, it wouldn't always be great, but like he, he at least had comic timing. So it would, <laughs> it would, it would be funny. <laughs> If you're going to burn me, at least have good timing. Yeah, yeah. It would be funny in like a mechanical way. Like the joke would hit where you'd expect it to. And then yeah. my mom was so off the wall because she, she, you know, she came from an, another country and she was very childlike and she was very isolated. And um, I'm sorry to say that she was diagnosed with parent schizophrenia later on in her life. But because she came from 
like the rural Philippines, it didn't manifest in any way that Americans were used to. Because that's not how mental illness works. It's culturally specific. Um, So for years, she went undiagnosed because they just literally, the doctors just thought they were just dealing with a weirdo Filipino person. Wow. Yeah. So, so I, I inadvertently got her sense of the absurd, not realizing until, you know, far too late that she actually believed these things. I just thought she was just being goofy. Because that's what people would tell me. They'd be like, oh, your mom, she's okay. She's just a little eccentric. I'm like, no, you're wrong. But anyway, in that weird kind of uncomfortable realization, I have to at least say that I can thank my mom for for seeing the world differently. She managed to, you know, keep the family together. It didn't impair her ability to, to raise kids. She raised five kids. We turned out, for the most part, pretty okay. But also... Had they diagnosed her, right? I don't know, 30 years ago, right. perhaps she would have had a better time. Perhaps we would have been better off. I don't know. Like, I, what's done is done. There's nothing I can do about that. I can't let it get to me at this point. I feel a little guilty because, you know, we were pretty merciless in, in like, making fun of her. And obviously, I wouldn't have done that had I known that there was some causative agent behind it besides just her yeah. inherent absurdity. But on the other hand, she really liked it. I mean, she we we got along really. I had a great relationship with my mother, yeah. uh, almost too good with my parents. I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't transition till much till after they passed away because I had such a good relationship with them that I really didn't want to upset them because they're both very religious. Um, I think if they had if they had pissed me off in the way that they pissed off my little brother, I would have been like him and had come out a long time ago. Yeah, but. Um, but there you go. I mean, like I said, what's done is done. I can't, I can't give my time back. I can't take that time no. back. I can't give my mother back the life that she missed out on because doctors were racist uh, right. throughout her entire life. But on the other hand, I can take what I got from it and try to make the best life I can and try to make people laugh. That's all I really want to do as a comedian is just make people laugh. And, yeah. you know... I'll use what I came with. I'll use the tools that were given to me as as strangely as they may have come to me. Um, I'll use them. Yeah. I mean, are you, is that typical of you uh, to be like a half a glass, half full kind of person? Yeah, I try to be. I mean, I, I think while, while we're on the subject of my parents, I think what had happened was I kind of had to function in that role for both of them because I was, I was the, I was, I was the smart kid out of the bunch. Um, the, the younger ones are too young and the older ones, the one, the two older than me were just not great in that respect. They were just, they were just assholes really, (laughs) you know, whatever. They just, they just didn't want to cooperate. And so it kind of fell to me to be both, like cheerleader and like logistical coordinator. Like I, right. I'll tell this story now. I'm developing it for comedy, and it's and it's a true statement that my dad would put the bills in each kid's name as they as they became somewhat plausibly of age, so that he could reset the payments. So, so right. So that by the time I was nine or ten years old, I had inherited the family's utility bills they were in my name at that point now i being now i being me yeah it was very exciting i being me didn't didn't take this as you know my older siblings are like whatever doesn't matter but being me i was like i i became invested in like the payment of these bills and like well now they're mine okay well let's 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 get this done like it's these are my bills now like i was nine or ten years old i'm like did we pay the electric bill this month? This is I, it, it's it's on me. Wow. I, I gotta get it done. It's That's kind of fantastic. Yeah. Eventually, uh, yeah. Eventually, I aged out and I went to my younger siblings. And I think what happened, thankfully, that by the time my dad retired, the the <laughs> the cycle of of utilities was was broken because basically. Right. Basically, he had, he had a stable income with which to pay the bills at that point. I mean, it's so interesting. Like our parents, you know, for good and bad and everything in between, they define who we are. And I mean, looking at you, looking at the way you attack the world, 
yeah. they did something right because of the person. Yeah, wanted. I guess so. Yeah, I'd like, you know, they have four functional, five functional children. They're all, they're all doing okay now. I mean, some are, some of us are doing a little better than others, but some, but for the most part, we're all functional human beings that contribute to yeah. society. And, and I guess that's all they really want. It's all my mom ever wanted. I don't know about my dad. My dad, my, my dad was a bit harder target to, to kind of figure out, but my mom, all she wanted was her kids to do better than she, than she had, have a better life than she had. And we're all doing that. So was that hard to watch your, your brother struggle when you weren't like when you had sort of figured out how to navigate yourself around your folks? Oh, sure. Yeah, it was it was tough because, you know, he's my little brother. Uh, he's immediately the one immediately under me. And he's also trans. He, you know, was assigned female at birth and um, didn't have the coping mechanism to, like, just fake it like I did. Um, I also think that, you know, because he's a little he's a little younger, like generationally, there's there was a time of transition in, in America where, you know, certain identities became a little bit more accepted. Um, so there's probably a little less pressure on him. Plus, plus to be, to go from feminine to a little masculine was a little bit less dangerous at, at that time because, you know, to, to reject masculinity was to, you know, don't do that. That was, that was the greatest sin of all in the South. Right. Um, why would you do you that? Know, why would you, You've got it why would you walk away from all this privilege and power? That's right. Ridiculous. Yeah. I think that's so. I, I want to talk about that more, but I think it's so interesting when folks transition and have to not only take on different like physical traits, but then the yeah. the way they're treated. I think that's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a that's a cornerstone of what I talk about in comedy and and otherwise. Yeah. But uh, I would watch him struggle with my with my dad especially. My dad was 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 more aggressive in his homophobia mm-hmm. and his transphobia but my mom was not by no means great either she'd mostly just sort of passive aggressively tell you you're going to hell and that she was going to pray for you whereas my dad would actually say horrible things to your face well uh, but then they would but they were so like they were both so um inconsistent because then they would tell you at other times that they just wanted you to live your life and be happy and that they just didn't quite understand and that don't be don't be discouraged by their intolerance. So they had a little bit of self. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they had a little bit of self awareness that would come out at times, but then they would immediately fall back in. Like the next day, they'd fall back into their you know entrenched conservatism, and I think that's fairly common. I think, I I think that unless you're like a real Trumpy asshole, I think that even the most conservative people understand that. Human beings' lives are, are theirs to lead, and that you really can't, you really can't, you know, if someone wants to live a life a certain way, you really can't say one way or another. That's their life. Yeah, as long as they're not hurting anybody, good. Yes, I think people understand yeah. that to some degree, but they're just... Well, sometimes there's a, yeah, there's a weird disconnect too, right? It sounds yeah. like from your folks that are like, I know I want my kid to be happy. Yes, but I also know exactly. that I believe in this like ingrained belief that right. she's going to hell. So yes. what a weird like what a sparring must be going on in their brain. Yeah, yeah. And like my parents had both gotten ill and this kind of contributed to me not wanting to transition while they were still ill because one got ill right mm-hmm. after the other. You know, being like the good kid, I didn't want to like make them make them do worse. They were already they were already sick. They were already right. trying to navigate a health insurance system, healthcare system that didn't take good care of them. They were already trying to deal with the fact that they can't afford rent and car payment. And, you know, they, they were dealing with Southern poverty yeah. and they were both barely literate and they, they had, you know, inconsistencies. regardless of whether my dad was screwing up, there was still inconsistencies in the economy uh, that made their work unstable and they didn't have enough social security to pay the bills with. And so all of these, you know, macroeconomic factors, not to get fancy, sort of rained down on my parents to keep them, you know, in a constant state of stress. And I didn't want to give them yet another stress of having another kid going to hell, especially when it's, when it's the one that holds all their shit together. Like I was the one, one. yeah, I was the favorite. I was the exactly. 
Oh, everyone knows it. I was the one that I was the one that, you know, finished college. I was the one that, you know, made sure that everyone got to the doctor or made sure that people got the bills paid. Yeah. I, I not just no pressure, Gina. Yeah, no pressure at all. I was very responsible. And I was like, you know what? I, I feel like I have their lives in my hand at this point. And of course I couldn't feeling that way. It would be, but I thought it'd be incredibly selfish of me to do anything that would imperil that. And then all of a sudden you've got decades under your belt where you're like, what? How did I get here? And right. that's, again, I can't give myself that time back, but I'm here now and I, I'll just make the best of it that I can. And now did you feel like, like when you started speaking your, your truth, your voice, your story through yeah. your comedy, that's when you're like, ah, oh, like I'm me. Like I, yeah. I, I can imagine there were sort of levels of becoming Gina whether it was through your, your surgeries or through your coming out, but then also through coming out into comedy. Yeah. You must have been like, oh, my home. Yeah, I, I think what had happened was I, I got my physical being in order at first. Like I, I transitioned, I got mm. on the hormones, I had gotten my name legally changed and my birth certificate adjusted, which is another weird thing for trans people because those mm. the ability to change your gender marker and your birth certificate varies by state. So depending on what state you were born in will dictate as to how how able you are to live who you are. My little brother was born in Indiana, conservative state. I was born in Washington, liberal state. So I had to do the bare minimum of paperwork to get my gender marker changed. He still has the incorrect gender marker on his identification. So, wow. yeah, so there's that. So there's all these little like yeah. things that you have to take care of in the logistical side of transition, I'd managed to do all that. That took like a good year. I had, I had, you know, I did that sort of in stealth thing where I was living sort of half in half out. And I had learned how to learn how to date. I'd learned how to present myself the way I wanted to be presented. I learned how to dress and do all these other things. And then uh, the last thing I did was to come out at my job as you know, the last sort of like part of my life that hadn't already heard about this. And it was at that point, I was like, well, I guess I'm done with life now. What do I do next? And, you know, I had for years wanted to work in the entertainment business as a writer. And I had sort of given up on that at the point, not somewhat prior to the transition. I, I, had, a, I had a bad relationship. And then I had, you know, several years of preparing the transition. And I then even thought about being an artist at that point and then with all of this stuff finally done my life finally in order and i hadn't really given my art much thought uh in a long time um oh, i kind of i kind of just gave up on it and then i had all this like spare time and energy and i was like well, what do i want to do like what do i want to do with my life now that this is done like uh, i have all of this taken yeah. care of it wasn't it wasn't as difficult or as scary as i thought it was going to be I was very fortunate. I mean, it's very difficult and scary for a lot of people. It was not that way for me. I'm very fortunate in that way. Yeah. But I still had all this energy now and all this time to do all this other stuff. And I just started observing my life and started thinking about it. And I don't know, I, I wanted to do something immediate. Like I had been a screenwriter and I had done all these things and, they, and like, it didn't feel like I didn't want to jump into that at that time. Because that sort of thing, you know, you write in secret and, you know, you're sort of indoors and whatever. And maybe it gets made, maybe it doesn't, but it's years anyway, regardless. Yeah. And I was out now and I wanted to be out and I didn't want to go, you know, be private anymore. So I was like, well, I could just try to stand up just as like, as a lark, just to, you know, just to see if I'm funny. Yeah. Just to get it, just to get back into writing. And then also to like make some new friends. Cause like my whole life had been upended at that point. And I just wanted to make some new friends. Right. And weirdly, I was really good at it. And it, that's not an ego thing, but I didn't expect to be. And I just, I wasn't going there expecting to like make like some, you know, hard turn into it. I was just gonna, I was gonna try it, do it for maybe a year, have fun. And then once it stopped being fun, I'd stop doing it. In fact, that's still what I say about stand up or anything for that matter, once it stops being fun, I'll stop doing it. But that was the attitude that I had was I'm going to do this for as long as it's fun. I'm going to, you know, see what happens and just keep getting further into it for as long as it's fun. And it was fun. 
it wasn't always fun. Not everything. Obviously, stand-up has a lot of problems. But it was fun enough that I kept at it. And then I, I got good at it along the way. And I started getting booked. And I started getting these opportunities. And I started, like, people started taking meetings with me. And they wanted to know about what else I had in store for them. And then all of a sudden, because now I have this conduit of expression where I can like develop stuff and see what it's like in real time and make, see if it makes people laugh or not. I get to play with themes, I get to play with autobiographical detail, I get to do all the things I was trying to do before, most you know, in like a really immediate way. And then I was like, and then it kind of got me back around to where I started and that's why I moved to LA. It was because I felt that when I was here before and I was trying to be a writer, I didn't have all of the things together. So transitioning and then stand up brought me back here and here I am. Because you, you speak about um, master image. Was there like an element that you were like, ah, the final piece? Yeah, um, I don't, you know, I, I yes, but I don't know. I think, I think what I'm learning is that that doesn't really pertain anymore. It like, I, I would think in terms of that way. I think like, mm. this is this is the last thing I need to like move forward on this. And I, and I still get that way because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very like organized and I, everything has to be exactly the way I want it before I'll move on to something else. Okay. But um, if this is what you're asking, um, yeah, I, I, I had told myself that, you know, transitioning that, you know, of course it was all, it was all these things. Like I had to leave this world, a small world behind me to transition. And then I transitioned and then it became, okay, this is yeah. done. Now I can work on my art. And then my art turned into this thing where it's like, okay, now I have a way right. to express myself efficiently. And now I can get back to the life that I had before and sort of live it all over again, but correctly and get like a, you know, a chance to, right. you know, go back and, and do things over again and hopefully do them right. But what I'm finding is that now that I am, now that I have sort of looped all the way around again, and I've come out the other side, now for the first time, stuff is new. And then with the pandemic, you come out of that, and like we're all starting to wake up right. from our hibernation. For the first time since I transitioned, I feel like I'm not correcting mistakes anymore. I feel like this year, this beginning now is like the, the beginning of me not fixing things and me doing new things and maybe screwing them up maybe i'll have to fix them later but this is i i've sort of i've sort of finished you know that loop of like me correcting the past yeah and now here i am with this whole future ahead of me that i don't know what i'm supposed to do now i don't know what i'm supposed to fix because everything i wanted to fix is fixed i mean no wonder you have more energy for your art now you're all you're all set. yeah yeah i'm all set um i'm gonna show you something that's it's gonna look a little it's gonna look a little intimidating but i'll show it to you anyway this is this is me as i've started working on my writing oh, no. i have this little board and i have that little board and i have this oh, little board God. and then over here i have two more yes. boards and then you can see them in the mirror there another one you can't see because it's obscured by my bookshelf so I've had this, like I've had what I guess I could consider like a creative sort of um, respark. I have I have more things to work on than I have time to work yeah. on them now. So all that time I had spent ignoring oh, the art, it had been building up in me the entire time. And so now I'm just like I feel like I feel like I'm living inside that that always sunny meme where he's just pointing at a bunch of things on a wall and going crazy. This is basically my life now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that though. And you're so organized. I love like seeing inside your brain that way. And I have to say like your standup is so, I feel like your voice, I don't know if it was always like this, but your voice seems so authentic and like you're speaking from a yeah. place of like, this is what I need to say. Do you have that battle within yourself of like what's private, what's public? To a little, to, to, to something of a degree, like I, with people that I have active relationships with, I'll I'll hold back on saying critical things if they haven't crossed some like boundary with me. Like you know, like I'm seeing somebody right now, right. and and he he's sensitive about certain things in his life, so I don't I don't put that into the stand up. But he is he has he's begun to factor into the stand up sure. in a very in a very flattering way. And like I have I've had exes where they recognized me pop me inserting 
things in, in our relationships that are jokes, but they're like, but they're flattering to them. So it's like, oh, it's okay. The stuff that <laughs> is more critical are people that were just sort of bad influences to begin with. And also because it's, you know, I'm telling jokes. So a lot of this stuff is remixed from several sources. Um, so a lot of it is based in fact, but it's also just, you know, a, a, a mixture of several people and like taking, taking certain things that happen and, and pushing yeah. them to their extremes so that they're not really factual anymore, but they were, they were just sort of logical extensions of, of what the situation could have become. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I recently did a show like last week I did it. I did one of my, my second live show back from the pandemic and Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And it was the first one I did with my actual friends. Like the, my first live show was in San Diego and it was with some people that I, I only kind of sort of knew, but this one that was last week was with my actual comedy friends and we were all together for the first time in like a year oh. and more. And like, we were just sort of like reminding each other what we're like. And I think what, a couple of people had said is that they 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 love how like assured I am on stage, like just how calm, and like I'll, mm -hmm. I'll just I'll walk on there and yeah. I'll just sort of like regardless of the situation, I'll, I'll I've got it together. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I'm doing that on purpose. I think it's just how it is. I think, I think I think given what we've been talking about, having gone through the things I went through and having you know taken the information yeah. and, and learning and the amount of thought I've tried to put into things, I think the last thing I'm going to be concerned about at this point in my life is stage fright. And, and whether or not, yeah, whether or not, what, what, what's the stake? I've already, every bad thing that could have happened to me, I feel like has happened to me already with the exception of like some, a few very bad things that no, that no stage could ever occur. Like obviously, I could go through some yeah. health crisis or something like that, or something very bad could happen, but there's no comedy stage that could facilitate that, that could be somehow responsible for it. Nothing that that stage can take from me. I ha hasn't already been taken away and I, have, I haven't already worked like hell to get back. So there's nothing that stage can do to me that ha hasn't already been done. How, how are you feeling about like, you know, like as I've looked at different um, platforms that you're mm -hmm. on, and one of the things that used to drive me crazy is when folks would be like, what's it like being a female comedian? Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, are you kidding me? What, what year are you in 1960? Come on. But like, I know what's important to you as far as your, your title goes, because I know often you'll introduce yourself as a trans comedian, trans female comedian, but not always. Not always. Sure. I do that um, somewhat situationally because, because we got to work with what we have, you know? trans people we we've not had a great run of things historically speaking so if we have to like if we have to we have to market ourselves a little aggressively that's okay you know what we've earned that right agreed yeah. agreed my friend i mean i i i think you're you're just great i mean i like the stand up that i've seen is so not only uh funny as hell but it's also like ah, i never saw it that way which is my kind of i really try i like i said earlier i if it doesn't make me laugh i'm not interested and if I can't find, if I can't explore some idea that's interesting to me, then I won't do it. So I don't have a lot of jokes about dating apps, or if I do, they go in a direction that is like, oh, this is cool. What does this have to say about society? What does it have to say about me? My, you know, the, the, the stuff that the sort of evergreen themes that I, I use in my standup and in my other writing is like, having, give up, having given up male privilege, what did I get? What did I lose? That's funny to me. I mean, yes, having it. It is to me too, because you're recognizing like, but you're recognizing like all genders can then relate to it because yeah. they'll be like, oh, she's actually speaking from two different voices that she understands implicitly. Yes. And, and, and I do that with racial identity because, you know, being biracial and like, there's this weird thing where, you know, Asian, if you're sort of if you're sort of on the chopping block between white and Asian, I have found, but you're identified as male, you get seen more Asian than you do white, which is weird. It's a weird thing to happen because because all the signifiers of whiteness that a woman has to put into her appearance, 
make her seem white. It's it. I not. I'm being. I have to be right. very careful with how I phrase all this stuff because I don't want to. I'm trying not to speak in any sort of like political term here because this is just how it is. I was a. I was living as a guy. I was the same face, same human being. They would be like, "That's an Asian." I'm living as the same person. Right. That's a white lady. I don't know why that is, but it's an experience I have. What happened? I don't know. It's so wild. I don't know, but it's an experience that I have where, like, by changing certain things about my life, yeah. other things change. And, you know, I went from very poor to, you know, comfortably okay. And there's, there's like, every indicator in my life that I started with has now changed. So I feel like I get, a, I feel like I have, like, an, an unending amount of, like, themes to play with. Uh the mind for humor more than anything else. That's all I really want to do is make myself laugh and keep myself engaged. And if people enjoy it and they seem to like it, I hope, and I'll keep doing it if they do. I, I like it. Like, this is what I'm saying. I think you're speaking to like so many different folks when you do your comedy. Mm -hmm. It's quite uh, an amazing feat to be able to do a joke that can hit so many different chords. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, and you know, now that I've now that I've started screenwriting again, I'm trying to do the same thing. Like I'm trying to write from from that same perspective of like, a, do I enjoy it? And b, am I doing yeah. something that that I find? Am I exploring something that I find interesting? Because before, when I was you know trying this originally, it was all like, what does the market want? How can I make money? And like, I know, yeah. I get it. And I'm trying, and I still want to do that. I still want to, you know be compensated for my work but like it's just i don't want to entertain anybody else but myself at this point i hope that doesn't sound selfish mm -hmm. because i do want to entertain my audience but no it sounds no to me it sounds like an artist and i have to say like this is something my husband and i were just talking about the other mm -hmm. day like because we're both comedians is when do you cater to what people yeah. want and when do you cater to what your voice needs to say and it feels like you know, five years ago, you might've been like, oh no, I got shit yeah. to say. And I don't care if this is worthwhile or not. It just so happens that you do, actually it is very marketable, but it does cross the line of like, or does tick the box. Yeah, it happens that people wanted to hear it. I, I, I don't recommend this for everybody, but I had, to, I had to go through all this just to sort of shorn myself of like all this need to please. And it seemed yeah. to work. It, yeah, it's not a journey for yeah, everybody. No, it's not a journey know? for everybody, but it seemed to work, I think. We'll see. Yeah. And if it doesn't, if I end up writing all these these projects and, and nobody wants um, nobody wants them, then I guess maybe I'll try something else. I can't see that happening. And I'll, I'll, I'll say because of the reception that you're having with your stand-up. Mm -hmm. So if you can already see that in like a minute way, the project that you're writing, if you stay on track the same way that you were on track with your stand-up, it's, it's gonna it's just patience you're you got the hard work down it's just patience now you said something was uh, the, some a quote that i really loved of yours after you transitioned you felt like you wanted to be more collaborative and more open to can being communal than you oh yeah definitely yeah absolutely and i you know because yeah. as, as as a you know as a lonely identifying as male screenwriter i didn't have any interest i didn't really have any interest in other people insofar as you know whether or not they were like my tight circle of friends i didn't i didn't have like a sense of community outside that mm -hmm. now i have this like robust comedy community mm -hmm. that i'm a part of that is subdivided into you know female comics yeah. and then subdivided into queer comics and those venn diagrams overlap and i'm a, i also do pretty okay with straight male comics insofar as they're not gross so um so I have these little communities within within <laughs> comedy, and you've come a long I've come way a long then. way. And then, uh, as has happened over the past two years since I've moved to LA, I've I've now re-entered other parts of the creative community, uh, TV people and screenwriters and things like that, uh, non non comedic performers, like or or non stand up performers rather, like long form comedy and things like that, and you know, people who put on um, hour-long solo shows and and other types of live performance. And I, I've i just begun to like, and like, as you do in LA, because this is what LA is all about, you, you start to 
start to mm-hmm. dabble. Um, I I never considered myself, a, yes. you know, as an actor. And then uh, over the over the pandemic, weirdly, I booked three commercials without submitting. I they they just came to me. They were like, "You want to be in this commercial?" I'm like, "Yes, I do." And now I'm like, "All right, well, is this something that people want to see from me? Do I do I do I?" Do I attempt this in the same way I did stand up where I'm like, is this going to work? And if it works great, and if it doesn't, then that's okay too. What do you got to lose? Uh, yeah. It seems like people have an interest in seeing me just do things that aren't comedy. They just want to see me, you know, sell products, I guess, which is fine. It's yeah. a living. But I will say this. I think that like that you don't know what you give off, like yeah. all the work that you've been doing on your inside is, is the confidence that you're putting out there. So yeah, I'd like you to sell uh, Kleenex. Oh, oh, hey, if Kleenex is out there, I'm, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so inspired by your your work as an artist. Like it's so, it's such a reminder to get on track with your art, you know? Thank you. I, you know, I hate to be a cliche. I really try not to be a cliche. I try not to say cliche things, but the cliche here is true that if you just, if you're honest about what you want artistically and you just do that thing then if you do it well people may or may not find you and it's and it's okay if they don't and it's great if they do but playing to the crowd for me doesn't work i can't do it i'm sure that people are great at it i'm sure there are people out there that can that are just nailing it by phoning it in in fact i know they are but then there's probably more people that are nailing it by phoning it in than people who are really you know doing stuff that engages them but like it's it doesn't work for me so i have to do it this way it's the only way that works for me no i mean it doesn't work at the end of the day i agree i agree and also you're hustling like you're also not you're putting yourself out there as a comedian actor but you're also producing yeah. like that's another skill that like that whole post-it note uh, display that you've got going on like you you got it you got it going on not only do you have like the talent and the looks and the skills, but then you're also organized. So you're like a quadruple threat. I hope so. We'll see. I, I moved into this new place. It's a little more than I can afford, but it's okay. I'll make it work. And the idea is I'm going to live here a year. I'm going to create the ideal creative space for me. And I'm just going to spit out stuff. I'm just going to, I'm going to make comedy. I'm going to make videos. I'm going to, yes. I'm going to write. I'm going to do everything that I, I had for whatever reason put off. This year begins all of the things that I've been putting off for the, for the past 10 years. This year begins the, that journey. So I, this is, this is my incubator. Yeah. Hopefully I'll keep, you know, being able to earn enough money to afford it. And, um, and yeah, then uh, we'll see what happens. Hopefully at the end of the year, I'll have a stack of, of new stuff to, you know, hopefully people will like, we'll see. But that's that's my year ahead of me. Can we talk at the end of the year and see? I want to see where you are at the end of the year. Absolutely. I hope it's not. I hope it's not me pointing to the same boards and be like, "Yeah, I'll get to this eventually." But yes, of course. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. You're too much of a, a can-do person. We'll see. But that's that's where I'm at. I just moved in here. I'm, I've been here three weeks, so I got the whole year ahead of me. Don't you stop posting pictures of your design technique. I'm all for that. Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure there will be more. I still remember I was on your on your podcast talking about my number one thing that I never talk about, which is politics yes. and especially American politics. And I remember you said, can you do this, can you do this podcast? And I was like, oh, that scares the shit out of me. I'm not going to do that. Oh, yeah, and I was yeah. like, I'm going to do it. A Canadian who doesn't like politics anyway, speaking about American po- politics is, I mean, there's a show in there. Yeah, somewhere. and it was, a, it was a fun show. I mean, we were talking about politics. We were talking about political bro podcasting. It was, it was, it was a bit, yeah, it was a yeah, bit yeah. meta. It was a bit meta. But we were talking about a political podcast for bros, basically. Um, Pod Save America is what we were talking about. So it was political, but on the other hand, it was like about bros, broifying politics. I mean, I can talk about that, but like go down the route of, actual politics i think you're gonna be like it's a different thing yeah um okay now i have to wrap it up i don't want to because i really we could chat ever but forever okay so do you have any questions for me i always turn the table so that uh, we can have some balance in the world oh you know what i think i'd like to know what your plans post pandemic are because i think that's i think that's what's on everybody's mind like we've gone we've gone through this thing 
And I didn't know if the pandemic would change me artistically, but it did in the way that it gave me the chance to like really micro-focus on what I wanted to say with this part of my art, not the stand-up, but this part of my art, the screenwriting and the production. And for me, what I, what I, what I came to, the conclusion I came to in the end was that I really just want to take genres of film and make them as, as queer as I possibly can. So it's like, I have a Western, I have a film noir, I have a sci-fi comedy. Oh, I love and that. And I want to make them as gay as humanly possible. What is that going to seem? And by gay, I mean just sort of blanket LGBTQIA type stuff. I want to take, I yeah. want to take it to its extreme and not- Shake it and, up. Right, and the, in the same way that I do my own light of my own life i want to apply that to the genres of, of art that i find compelling so that's what i'm doing i don't know if everyone has quite given so much thought to the thesis of what they want to work on but i was wondering what you have learned artistically and what that might mean for you now that we're starting to come back to life that's a that's really great and it is a like that question's twofold it's going to make it's going to challenge me to put my money where my mouth is yeah. but i think it's similar to what we've been talking about which is like your, your art, like I wanna turn the focus to what I wanna create mm -hmm. as opposed to what I think other people want to see or be created or what's gonna sell, all those things. I just wanna have my own voice again, yeah. You should applaud yourself. You're here and now you've got all this like <laughs> life ahead of you. We've gone through, we've all gone through a thing together. And yeah. so you should applaud yourself for having done that. Agreed. All right, here's my wrap up firecracker questions. Here we go. Okay, fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is a firecracker is uh, is someone who is, is is someone who is ready to to speak their mind in the way they want to speak it. Yes, I love that answer. What do you want to be best known for? Oh, uh, what I want to be best known for is being is is having interesting things to say. That's that's you know what what when I when it comes down to it, I just want people to be like, huh, that was, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I love that. I love that. What's something that people don't know about you? Oh my God, I'm so transparent now. This is such a hard question. I feel like if you dig deep enough, you'll you'll pretty much learn everything about me. You know, I yeah. What do people not know about me? I, I I'm so I'm so I'm overly open about things. I think I think what people don't know about me, or people seem to seem to you know forget, is that I I'm just racked with insecurities and and unsuredness as, as any human being, because I do portray myself very confidently, but that's not, it doesn't necessarily happen 24 seven. And in fact, I, I have a lot of anxieties about where I'm gonna fit into the rest of the, of the world. I try to find humor in it, so it may come across as, as, as that I'm not panicking, but I, I really am, as much as any mm -hmm. other person, I'm sure. Oh, you and me both, my friend. I think that's such a great thing to say out loud, though, because everybody's going to be like, what? She's got it all together all the time. She has post-its and, and a beautiful teacup set. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at how organized her, her home gym is back there. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, no, I have. I have. Yes. <laughs> what's, your, what's been your favorite mistake? And what did you learn from it? Oh, my favorite mistake. And what did I learn from it? Um, I'm gonna say my my current favorite mistake is accepting <laughs> is accepting a lease on an apartment that is maybe four hundred dollars more than I can afford a month, which is what I just did to force myself to create art. <laughs> because I don't know, I really don't know how I'm supposed to afford all this shit. But I was I was um, I was inspired by Fran Leibowitz. I'm inspired by Fran Leibowitz. She um, said she said that she got her New York apartment. She had to get a New York apartment big enough to that she could fit all her books into. And then she had to figure out how to afford it. Yeah. So, so I was like, well, you know what? Fran did it. I love that. Fuck it. I can do that too. So I so I, I, I got an LA apartment big enough to, to fit all of my all of my creative moods. And I guess I'll just have to figure out if I can actually afford it or not. We'll see. So that's that's my current favorite mistake, because that 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 is bad financial advice. Never Never, never rent something you can't <laughs> afford, people. It's not a good idea, but I did it anyway. Uh, what's something that you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do? Uh, I need to get out of the, the U.S. as an adult. Um, I was supposed to go and tour the U.K. last year. Obviously, pandemic put, the, put a hold on that. I need to see the... I, I lived in the Philippines as a child for like a year, 
I barely remember it. I need to get out of this country. It, it was it was a lot more dire when Trump was in, in office. I was like, I need to leave this country forever. But no, I, I need to... I need to be in the world, and not as a tourist. I just I need to like spend time in a place where the language isn't mine, and I I need to yeah. you know, and I need to be around you know buildings that are older than this country that I live in is. I need I need to do something like that, just to feel like I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a part of my experience that is kind of woefully underdeveloped and it's sort of international like perspective i feel like I, I feel like i know how to be an american very well but as a person in the world i feel like i need some more experience with that i love that i love it uh what's a firecracker who's a firecracker in your world that you'd like to shine some light on i got a lot of i got a lot of firecrackers i've got so many people in the stand-up community in new york and la i've got so many so yeah. many firecracker friends that are just awesome Here's a mutual firecracker, yeah. Deanne Smith. Yes, Deanne, they are they are a firecracker and a half. I love me some Deanne. Funny, I, I would not have met Deanne had it not been for the pandemic. Deanne, a very funny Canadian comedian. They were they wanted to do live shows on the internet and 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 asked me to you know tech them, tech the shows, and yeah. um, it's been yeah. really cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know that Deanna is moving. Deanna's moving to the uh, to Boston, I think, in the fall. So I'll be on the East Coast for about a month in the fall as well. So maybe I'll finally get to meet Deanna in person, which is pretty cool after all this time. Oh, they're fantastic! Yes. I'm a big fan. I I put that one in your in your. I put the words in your mouth for that one. Do you have a firecracker? It's hard because there are so many. There are so many cool firecrackers out there that that have you know. When I first got to LA, Danielle Perez, awesome introduced me around gave me people to talk to i my my friend sarah kami is like just become like this great dear friend of mine and she's a screenwriter and is just super smart in a very unexpected way and you know i was working on was working in tv and is much younger than me and i was like wow how did you do all this and you're still like basically when i was your age i was still trying to figure out how to pay rent on an apartment in in lakeland florida it was like $400 a month. Like, I don't know how you did that. Right. Um, right. And in New York, I have so many, I have so many firecracker friends. Like, like my friend Veronica, who I have Garza, who I haven't seen in a few years. We were supposed to hang out in Boston together and I love her to death and I haven't seen her because of the pandemic. So it's not that I can't think of any, it's that I can't narrow them down. There's just too many. That's the hard one. Yes. It's like saying one person's name and knowing that you could actually talk for a full 24 hours about all the firecrackers in your world. Absolutely. Yes. My final question is advice. Advice you would have given to a younger Gina. Advice I'd given to a younger Gina. Um, gosh, you know what? I, Mom and dad would have lived, I think. I think that's the best advice I can give to a younger Gina. The mom and dad would have lived regardless. They may not have, they may never have understood, but it wasn't your responsibility to take care of them. The only responsibility you had was to, you must have be a good person and take care of yourself. Well, looks like you're doing that now, my friend. I hope so, thank you. I'm so happy that we've met. I'm so happy that our paths have crossed. me too. Uh, I'm so looking forward to keeping in touch with you and what you do in the future and how I can I can cheer cheer you on from the sidelines. Well, I mean, we're free again. So, you know, feel if you're, I don't know where you're staying these days, but if you're in the LA area, you can come by and see the tea set in real life. It's right here, so. I would love it. I would love it. Oh, you're on my list of people to touch base as soon as I'm back in Los Angeles. Come on by when you're back yeah. and we'll, we'll have tea. We'll have tea and little sandwiches. Thank you, Gina. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. I'm continually inspired by you, your teacups, your cute bangs, and everything thank else. You. I think you're you're adorable and I'm a big, big fan. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad we got to finally talk. Me too. Me too. Keep in touch. Thanks for weathering the storm with me. Literally. Yes. Literally. Yes, yes, there was a storm. And thank you so much, Gina, for weathering that. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but while we were talking, the storm came over us and pooched us. Yeah, it pooched us. It took us out of the conversation and Gina was patient enough for me to log back on and continue the conversation. So, uh, you know, it's part and parcel of where we're at. Thanks, Gina, for getting through it with me. 
Okay, you can follow Gina on Twitter and Instagram at Gina Bloom. That's Gina, not Jenna. Gina, J-E-E-N-A, and Bloom like a flower. Gina Bloom. You can also follow her at Antidepressant Comedy Hour, a live LA show she produces that's coming later this summer. We will definitely be watching for that. And as I said before, she hosts this podcast, Sweet, at More Banana Pods. And if that wasn't enough, oh my gosh, she has so much going on. Her new solo hour called Homecoming Queen will be debuting in LA and New York later this year. I mean, it's Gina time. That's what I'm saying. It's the year of Gina. So we're vaxxed, still masked. We're ready for this to be Gina's year, and I can't wait to soak up her her comedy and her thoughts around the world that we're living in right now. So if you're in New York City, check out her schedule at www.ginabloomdoescomedy.com. Oh my gosh, I just love comedians so much. They really make my heart just sing, and I lean forward to find out what they're thinking about, and then they make me laugh. It's like... It's my jam, you know, and this is absolutely no exception. I'm so, so grateful to have had this discussion with Gina. All right, that's it for me. Whatever you're doing out there, go out and share some firecracker love. If you're feeling like your creative tank is full, put some out there. Give some back. And if you feel like your creative tank is empty, give us a call. We're going to help you out. Reach out to us at firecrackerdept or at firecrackerdepartment.com. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. Sydney Nielsen is our co-producer and head editor. You can follow them at Sydney underscore Nielsen. Sydney, like Australia. Nielsen, like milk. This episode was edited by Jordan Giddens, who you can follow at Jordan Giddens. That's Jordan with a Y. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Big shout out to our latest and greatest student embers. That's Aria Forrest and Nancy Ding. My gosh, we are lucky to have these two firecrackers on board to do some work experience with us. And if you know any student that's looking for work experience, give us a shout. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first-time or a long-time listener to Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our Firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you. Sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.